This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club Podcast. It's episode one. I'm mega excited about this. Podcasting was relatively new when I first did it and now it's almost old hat, so it seems like the right time to start again. Let me start by briefly introducing myself. My name is Rodders. I'm a stand-up comedian and I'm also the promoter of the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. We run a monthly stand-up show up above Smoking Billy's Rib House in the centre of Reading Town. For more info and to buy tickets, head to facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night. So what is this podcast all about and who is it for? Anybody who's into stand-up comedy, who wants to see a little peek behind the curtain inside the lives and minds of uh, stand-up comedians from around the world. It's basically going to be me, one-on-one, chatting to some of the great acts we've had pass through the doors of the comedy club. And also we'll be chatting to some of the acts that I meet along the way whilst I'm gigging around the country. My guest for this episode is a real force to be reckoned with. Izzy Lawrence. On a Saturday night, you'll probably find her in one of the big room clubs taking on a hen do or stag do and generally winning. Although when she's not taming Saturday night crowds, she has a more intellectual side to her. She can be found at the British Museum doing shows about history, doing comedic tours of art galleries or hosting a very own history related podcast, The Z List Dead List. When I caught up with Izzy, it was at a bar at the University of Reading while she was waiting for her jiu-jitsu lesson to start. So I was very careful what I said. I didn't want to be jiu-jitsu chopped in the nose uh, or whatever painful things they do to each other. We ended up talking for so long, I've decided to cut this interview into two. In this half, we talk about comedy as a conversation, the psychology of a room and why certain people sit in the front while others flee to the back and how Izzy takes down hecklers. The Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. It's the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast and uh, I'm joined with Izzy Lawrence who has done comedy for Yonks and Yonks and has performed at my club. You were the second ever person to host the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club in your own hometown of Reading so it wasn't even a commute was it? No, I, I think I think you might have got me out of the bath to do it. I think that was... I think you rang me because I think somebody else pulled out on you last minute. And you went, Izzy! Which is usually how I get gigs in Reading. <laughs> well, that is, I think the f- second time you were meant to turn up oh, and you okay. were booked to MC, but that there was a night where we had a certain comic who had a, a mishap and I got an email off their agent during the first break and uh, I was going through the phone with the phone book going oh god who can we get and uh, I rang you and you were like oh, alright I will <laughs> well, and I think you were coming back from opening at a club in London I yeah. think I, I'd opened at a club in London earlier that evening so it was one of these sort of uh, it was one of these pre-dinner conference type gigs which are horrible if you've ever done them and so it's like oh great I could be home by 9 o'clock and I get home and I start running my bath and then you message me <laughs> So I have to get up again and go out and be funny. Not having done the whole being funny thing for as long as you, I find I have to, it takes me a while to get my head in, in gear for it, and I like to arrive early, and I like to suss out the room, and I don't like to rush or panic. So if I get a, a last-minute gig, I'm very grateful, but also part of me thinks, oh, God, I can't deal with this, but does it not bother you? No, I find if you want to be... 
I find being in the moment is the key. So if you turn up early and you sit through the show, you've got a better idea of what the audience is expecting or what the audience kind of wants at that point. If you've had an MC who's done a lot of material, they're likely to want a lot of interaction. If you've had, um, if they've been reacting loads to very witty jokes, then that's kind of probably what they want. They don't particularly want, you know, your more sort of rude stuff. And if they've only been laughing at rude stuff, they want rude stuff. And that is basically the majority of audiences. So if in doubt, go blue. Kinda. It's depressing, but yeah, it works. <laughs> I mean, basically, you have to think what people are doing. They're going out on Friday or Saturday night. And they just want to be taken out of themselves. They don't want to think too hard. They just want a bit of entertainment, something to talk about maybe on the way home, you know, a little bit of that. But nothing, you know, they just want to giggle and have a good time. You can overanalyse comedy when, after all, it is something people do because they don't want to be at home and they want to have a bit of fun, as as philosophical as you can be about it. It is just... uh, That doesn't make it any less valuable, but there is a a big argument for not taking it too seriously because it is just someone's distraction yeah I mean we're ultimately beer salesmen yeah if you've ever, if you've ever done gigs in restaurants and stuff or gigs where it's comedy in a comedy night you're basically there between appetiser and main event that is all you are you're a traffic cone of the evening you just are there to sort of fill in while they do their own thing. I did a gig recently. Tickets were £10, and that included two drinks. And I think four to five pounds is the average price of a drink in London. So what are they valuing the comedians at? It's drinks first, comic second, unfortunately. Well, if you remember a certain chain which has gone bust now, it was, um, what was it? It was eat, dance, drink, laugh. And laugh is the last thing that you do at that. But you know, <laughs> fall over, I think, and be sick. I mean, we're all. We're, I mean, we're both comedy nerds, so we will go as our way to the back of an uncomfortable room to watch a comic we absolutely adore. That's a very rare thing. Most people now consume their comedy online in terms of they'll just go scour YouTube for their favourite comics and watch their you know hours on Netflix and the rest of it. They won't tend to go out their way to watch them. And the people who turn up at comedy clubs are not comedy fans. They're just people going, "Oh, what should we do for date night?" Yeah. So it's a, you know, there was a time where you would go, comedy clubs are filled with comedy nerds. That isn't the case so much. There are a few, don't get me wrong, comedy nerds, there are a few clubs that are full of nerds, but that isn't how you earn your crust. Not, that's not the big Saturday night gig, is it? I remember at my club, I guess you must have just walked in, read the room, and done it because it's a small room you've done it before you know the Reading audience so it probably didn't matter that you turned up last minute I remember I went on I padded for time I did 15 minutes and I saw a shock of blonde hair at the back of the room I thought oh good Izzy's here I'll get off <laughs> yeah I mean, it's a fun little gig yours it's very intimate the back of the room feels like the front of the room the front of the room looks terrified which is always good because I can deal with terror nervous <laughs> laughter counts I found that if the front row is laughing nervously, the, back, the second row in the back row will go, oh, they're laughing, it must be funny, I will laugh too. People still worry at my club about sitting at the front, and I think, really, what is the difference between sitting at the front and the back? It's all about four metres, like, but I guess they feel more exposed. Yeah, you do feel more exposed at the front, particularly if there's no tables and stuff in front of you. It's physically an intimate thing to do, be right. And also, you know, 
I could turn at any moment. I could start beating them up. They don't seem to realise that. But it is it, the psychology of the room is quite interesting. So if you place yourself at the front of your room of the room, you're basically going somebody pick on me. So you've got that. It also shows a level of confidence and a level of so your fair game, the comedian. That's a sort of like standardised rule. And it's you know it's like sitting at the front of the class. You're the teacher's pet, you know. Cool kids go to the back of the bus. They don't sit at the front with the teachers and the nerds. So all that is is I mean ultimately what you want if you're a comedy audience is to basically be as inconspicuous as possible, not to be reminded that you are anything other than a member of a crowd. Because the moment you're psychologically think that you're an individual you're not an sorry psychologically you are an individual you go oh my god I'm in a room full of people and if I laugh at the wrong bit they're going to think I'm an idiot and then it becomes about them not about the night I do as much as as a promoter I, I sit the audience members and I'm always the one trying to persuade people to sit at the right front and all that lot but as an audience member myself I prefer to be third row because I'm close enough to the action but not too close and in Edinburgh I went to see a comedian and I ended up in the front row because I was late and I was thinking oh this is going to be awful and yeah he did talk to me but it wasn't that bad he was nice about it and it was because I think I was wearing a Mutant Turtles t-shirt and I thought oh well I'm for it this is going to be a terrible two hours but it was fun and he was all like it was good because he took the mick but he didn't go too far and it was kind of he was taking the mick out of me but in a way that I felt kind of included with it I wanted to stay for the next half rather than walk out crying and I think sometimes that's the balance a good compare or even a good act doing crowd work needs to find that line yeah I think it's basically the way that you're going to attract a comedian's attention is if you're not laughing your arms are crossed and you look angry because that's all we see so if you want to not get picked on you smile you giggle you laugh at all the jokes you answer questions quickly and don't think about it too much don't try and be clever and you'll be fine don't give a false name because we can smell that if Dave says he's called Robert we know that we just know it's not his name well mainly because all of his friends go what are you talking about Dave your name's not Robert it's Dave isn't it Dave (laughs) and then but I mean there are you know there are rooms where I have to deal with a table or or a heckler before they've even started because I've seen what's happened to previous acts when they haven't acknowledged them so you you just go on and you deal with them immediately even before they've had a go at you just simply because and it's usually because they're drunk and talky if they're women and they're angry and cross-armed and shouty and blokey if they're blokes and usually a group of blokes with you know my feminine charms and accent can be a problem however not so much because I just go in twice as hard I've never seen you have to deal with a really terrible heckler what's your do you have a do you tend to go because I just think you do you go straight in you can't go straight in for the juggler can you do you give him a chance or then do you, do you just or does it depend on the I guess it depends on the heckler because if you shout at them too much then you look like the maniac I think that is something a male comedian has more difficulty with than a female comic I can have a go at a woman and not appear overly there's something different about a female comic having a go at a woman in the audience and a male comic doing it and I think men fear hen knights more than I fear stag dudes because hen knights if you tell women to shut up and stop having a good time ooh not good 
if I do it, I can do it in a playful way. And I can, because I am quite androgynous in some senses, and I'm, while I am absolutely devastatingly attractive, don't get me wrong, um, it is a case that I am not what most women think of as, oh, I wish I looked like her. The way you deal with women is you go, oh, look at these proper heterosexual women, look at them with their like perfect makeup, etc., etc. And they like that because that, I'm basically calling them alphas. So you're doing, giving them a backhanded compliment? Yeah, I, I, I basically go in with the compliments and then I degrade them. With men, if they're in a group, I tend to pick on the weakest because that's the easiest one, the nerdy... Fair enough. The one, the one who is the runt of the litter. And then immediately from that, I know who the alpha is, and then I go for him. And when that happens, they all love me, including him. So there's that, you know, um, there's that dynamic of it, and I have to go in hard. And so I do have some lines which I... So, for example, if there's a, you know, a builder's you know, table all together who are obviously disappointed when they see me which happens because I am as I say not what they'd call a pin up and also not what they wanted in terms of comedy um, I think my go to line is you don't look like you've listened to a woman for this long without either <laughs> fucking or punching her that you see the audience like it because the audience go oh you don't look like you've listened to a woman for this long without either fucking or punching her because you are dicks but they think, yeah, that's right, I'm an alpha male. <laughs> and they, they like that. So everybody laughs at it because they all acknowledge what a funny thing it is. And um, I usually get them on side. And if I don't get them on side, I just, I literally apologise. I say, you don't understand this, guys. These guys want a night out. And, you know, I am the wrong booking. I am the wrong booking. And I acknowledge it because if you acknowledge if you acknowledge it you basically start a conversation with them and they don't take it out on you because there's nothing I can do to make myself the act <laughs> yeah because they, they can't you have to be defensive in order for someone to have a fight with you mm. I believe but by sort of going oh you're going to hate this we're going to talk about women's issues type you know we'll, let's do a little bit of feminism or cats which is it boys <laughs> you know there's going to be you know you can make a joke out of it and you can make a joke out of the fact that you acknowledge but you do it without apologising. You don't go, oh, I wish I was this act that you wanted to see. You just go, shit night for us. Let's hope, let's make a bad situation worse. It's like when you have to support something. Like, I've had to support Stuart Lee. I've had to support Alan Davies. And like, you just walk on stage with no introduction when the audience is expecting Alan Davies. And you get Izzy for 20 minutes when you didn't know that was happening. Therefore, they're angry, and I go, I'm angry too. The only reason I took this booking was to watch Alan Davis. People should know by now that there is a support act and that it's part of getting a bit of value for money. Like, I'd never be annoyed with more entertainment rather than less. Like, even if I'm seeing a comedian I really like, it's not, I guess, but we're comedy people, so I guess... Exactly. They don't see it that way. They see, well, I know the show goes from 8 until 10... You're delaying it. <laughs> no, it's not even you're delaying it. You're taking up time that Alan Davis would have been speaking. It doesn't work like that. He doesn't, no. want, to, he doesn't want to write an extra half hour. He's got, I don't know, dishes to wash or whatever. I don't know what he does in his free time. It's none of my business. But I, I was, for a time, I, I stopped doing it. I, I was very aggressive with hecklers and it never, never worked because I don't think it looked right with me. And also, I, it would scare the people who were nice and who were on my side at the start of the gig because they thought I would turn on them. I think it's probably more to do with the fact that you were doing rehearsed lines. I think people sense that, and I think they go, 
oh, he's not in the room here with us, let's not engage either. Because it doesn't look like you're engaging, so they're not going to invest in you. If you walk on stage and just go, I am here, are you here? They go, yeah, we're here, what? You know, they, it is about breaking that fourth wall. And the more you have rehearsed lines, the more you have to get going, going, I have to do this joke and I have to get this rhythm right and it has to be perfect no matter what else happens. The room's, if there's a fire in the room and that starts mid-joke, I'm finishing my joke, it comes across as false and it will always fail. And I do think stand-up comedy done best is where you have the lines and you have the beauty and you have the routine, but you can stretch it, you can manipulate it, and you have to tell, you have to literally look at the room in front of you and go, I'm going to tell this to you guys. It's like having a, an arsenal and picking what to use from it, I guess, rather than following your list of, oh, well, I'll use a spanner here and a shotgun here, and then a, I guess. Well, it, it's more to do with the fact that you've got your toolkits, so you've got your spanner toolkit, and you've got your shotgun toolkit, and you've got your surgical thing. So when there's somebody lying in front of you, yeah, that's a better stitches, analogy. Yeah, yeah. If you need stitches, you don't get your shotgun out. No, no. If oh. in front of you, you don't just go. Oh, I know what you need—a spanner. No. Well, that's how you got kicked out of med school. <laughs> <laughs> I also found that now I'm very customer service with hecklers. I'll just treat it like they're being reasonable and I'll kind of very kindly and nicely answer the question and I'll be rude if I it's like a very last resort like one of the <laughs> I got threatened by some bloke who would have been having a bit of an argy-bargy with and he, and he asked for my address which was code for I'm going to find you and beat you up so I'd, I'd give him my email address and be like helpful but misleading because so I was told by someone that I think it was Lucas told me this you can't if you bark at a dog it will only bark back so if I'm nice and he's yelling at me then he looks like the maniac so it kind of, and also it kept me from doing pre-prepared lines. But I found, I find that if I'm nicer to hecklers, I still I remain in more control than when I was doing stock put downs. I think yeah, that is because you're thinking about what they're saying. So they're going to respond better to that than just go, shut up. Oh, fuck your dad or something. And there's no, it, it, it is all we're doing is speaking to a room full of people. They used to say heckling the wrong way, because sometimes they, they do want the act to fail, but quite often they're drunk or they're joining in or they're just showing off to their mate. Very rarely do I think an audience member enters a comedy night with, right, I'm going to ruin this for that comedian who spent all this time writing that bit of work. I don't think that's really... And when you start from a perspective of they're probably not doing this to upset me personally, then I don't mind it so much. I mean, it's not ideal. I mean, I'd never heckle Phantom of the Opera... And, you know, I'd never go, well, Alfie, Bo, get your whatever out, um, or whatever. <laughs> Not a very good heckler. But I wouldn't yell abuse at Alfie Bo whilst he was doing uh, a musical. So I'd, I'd never yell at a comic unless in, invited to. Best, best heckle I heard, I was doing a um, gig in Cardiff. Do you know a guy called Ted's? Guy, has got um, CP, cerebral palsy. And he's a comic. He's good. But he's very terrible palsy. He uses a scooter to get about, that sort of thing. And he um, really funny when you can hear him. He suffers really badly if the microphone and sounds not good because the audience doesn't get him and he's proper good. But um, we were on a bill together and there was a middle spot who was doing a very right-wing 
Starlax. Uh, talking about how great he was and how rubbish, you know, single mums were, etc. This wasn't going down in quite a socialist city, which is Cardiff. It's not oh, going down God, well. Yeah. So he was being unpleasant, and he was doing that thing where comedians are dying. They're trying to gauge the audience. They're going, my next, you know, gag is about a car. So, so anybody here got a car? Have you got a car? It's a good car, like this sort of but thing. But no one answers that because it's, exactly. if they do have a car, they're not going to. Yeah, they were like, well, yeah, of course I have a car. Well, exactly. So nobody did answer that apart from Ted. From right at the back of the room, just went mobility scooter. <laughs> <laughs> and he never recovered from that. That was a very... It's just bizarre, isn't it? Because it's not even aggressive. It wasn't aggressive, but it just... it just So it, it, I think it was the heckle equivalent of check your privilege without, you know, actually That's saying right. it. It was understood by the audience what a dick this guy was just by that heckle. Um, but yeah... I think I think heckles can be very aggressive. I've had horrible ones. I've had groups of men follow me into a car park after a gig, even after pretending yeah. to say, well, pretending, even after they've literally threatened to rape me, which is not what you want, right? When to get a comedian off stage, because I'm just like, well, if you are going to rape me, I'm going to have witnesses. I'm staying up here. <laughs> It's just ludicrous. It's like <laughs> no, I don't know what to say to that. Can, they can, you can be in very. If you get the wrong person, you can get. You get a woman who thinks you've told a joke that you haven't told, and thinks. Say you're setting up an ironic joke, and I've seen male acts just being completely devastated because a woman's just got up and started shouting at them and won't listen because she's like a little bit drunk and absolutely outraged. And I believe the word is triggered. Um, she will just rant, and there's and if. The, if the club's not going to do anything and get to sit down or chuck her out, that's your act ruined. That's 20 minutes of a woman shouting. I've seen that. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Does it, does it, bo- it must have bothered you. And it, it, you can't be, you must become thick skinned over time. It must have bothered you at some point. So. Yeah. I mean, it probably still does bother me. So if they're right, it bothers me. Ah. So that whole thing of you're not funny, if I've been storming it, that absolutely is, that's fine. If I'm not funny and they say you're not funny, I'm just like, yeah. It's quite an easy defence mechanism, that, though, in some respects. I don't know, it just seems like Joey Brand does that, I think, doesn't she? Where she kind of just sort of... I think she, I think she just used what people shouted at her as fuel. So when she was she her, her opening when she first started doing stand up, her act was called the Sea Monster, and she'd walk on stage as the Sea Monster, and that was her stage name, the Sea Monster. And then she would do you know do the thing of I'll just move my mic stand so you can see me, and she was very very um, self. Uh, deprecating, but at the same time, it's not giving a fuck. Roseanne Barr does it very well. She doesn't do any of the self-replication though. She just doesn't give a fuck. She takes that little step back and just goes, you know, I am what I am. Fuck you. Before anybody's even dared to say anything. So there is that sort of like aggressive thing that I don't tend to do that though. I tend to quite enjoy being odd. So when people say get your tits out, my natural reaction is to go, oh, do you like warts? <laughs> and it basically, you know, if, unless they're doing it, you can tell when people are saying things to be dicks, and you can tell when people are saying things because they got it wrong, and you can tell when people are saying things because they're actually being really funny. 
and it, you just have to be out of your own head enough to realise it yeah to just read it because all it is is a conversation and however even if it is a monologue and it's very one-sided it is a conversation you are chatting you're chatting an entire room up it's why I reckon a lot of women like going to see stand-up comedy is because in a similar way that men like going to strip clubs because they like naked women women love being chatted up it's one of our things that you know we like it's a hobby (laughs) well it, it's a nice it, it's what we like is we like we what we find attractive in people slightly more than what men typically find attractive in people is we do like their ideas and their brain their character yeah. and stand up is a great way of demonstrating your character and it's unusual when you see a man sort of go on stage and go I'm a big old coward um, or I, I'm, I'm so awkward in this situation yeah, and you wouldn't get that at a rugby match or any other sort of form of I mean if you get your chested up at a rugby match well done um, but <laughs> <laughs> that is where I would take a woman says Rodri to a rugby match and chatter up but there is that there is that sort of thing where it, it's quite there's, there's a level of openness which is revealing which is um, interesting I believe more interesting to women than it is to men and that is why I think you get quite a lot of female fans of young male comics and that was Izzy Lawrence if we've learnt one thing from this interview don't heckle her it's just not worth it you'll never survive she's also trained in jiu-jitsu as well remember that and we do talk about that in part two of the interview which I will air or upload Uh, to use a more modern term, on a later edition of the podcast. Now, before you delete this episode to make room for another great podcast, such as the Binman's Binman podcast, in which a binman interviews other binmen and women about the world, lives and minds of bin people, or (laughs) bin men, um, uh, I'm going to tell you about some upcoming events. The next show at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club, up above Smoking Billy's Rib House in Reading, will be on Thursday the 8th of February. Our headliner is Paul Perry, one of the circuit's top comics his career has spanned tv film and radio and he's absolutely excellent i'm very excited to have him down at my club and the night will be hosted by nick ellery he is an australian comic based in london at the moment and i saw him mc the new comedian of the year competition at the museum of comedy in london last year and i thought to myself you know what I'm going to book him. He's going to do. He'll do a fab job at my comedy night. So I got in touch with him the very next day. And supporting, we have William Stone, who's winning awards left, right, and centre at the moment. Stephen Catlin, Anna Speck, and Simon Weekers. It should be a great show. Tickets available now. Facebook.com forward slash Stand and Deliver Comedy Night. Now, should you want to come and see me, Rodders, do some of the old stand up? Here are some highlights from my gig diary over the next couple of weeks. On Saturday, the 3rd of February, I'm at the Comedy Ladder in Tame at the Cross Keys. And then the Saturday after, which is the 10th of February, I'll be doing the Comedy Ladder in Stokenchurch at the Fleur de Lis. Don't worry, they don't all speak French in there. Then on the 13th of February, I'm in Bath. I'll be doing the Westgate Comedy Night at, you guessed it, the Westgate Pub. And then on the 5th of March, I'm in Stratford Say for the Comedy Night at the Iron Duke. It's pretty much a variety night because they've got a number of comedians, a magician and live music as well. It sounds like it's going to be great fun. More info at rodders.com forward slash calendar, subject to change. And uh, I might add some more dates as well. Why not? So that's it. I can't believe we've done it. 
Um, we've actually done the first episode of the Stand and Deliver podcast in the bag, and uh, I'm quite pleased with it, to be perfectly honest with you. It's nice just to get something off the ground. Thanks to our guest, Izzy, and we'll see you all on the next episode. All the info you should need is over at rodders.com, R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S.com. I've been Rodders, and this has been the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast, episode one. Bye!